All right, it's the DT difference. It's 30 years experience in the game, DT systems. E-collars we've been using for a while now, but let's quickly talk about their dummy launchers. They got the Super Pro dummy launcher and the remote dummy launcher. It's a great way for you and your dog to get ready for duck season. Loud bangs, make sure your dog's cool with gunfire before you use it. But I want you to add it to your repertoire, bag of tricks, and get you and your dog ready for duck season. It's the Super Pro Dummy Launcher by DT. Gunner Kennels, baby. Hashtag man's best kennel. Well, it's also now hashtag man's best food crate. It's freaking raccoon proof. You can't get into this thing. Your dog can't bust into the lid and eat all the food. Trust me, I know Memphis has done it in the past. She looks like a blown up pumpkin. Boom. But not anymore. We've got the Gunner Kennel food crate. It's easy to pack easy to store, keeps food dry, which food's an investment, man. That Purina, baby, it ain't cheap anymore. So keep it dry, good, all that stuff, easy to pack, easy to store. The Gunner Kennel Food Crate, slide into DMs if you'd like to learn more. Force fetch, what is it? It's super intimidating to so many people, yet it's not that difficult. I built a step-by-step process that helps you understand it, you and your dog can be successful in it, and it takes the intimidation away of the process so that you and your dog can get to your goals. That's what it's built for. Let me teach you how I do it so that you and your dog can do it. Different breeds, different personalities, problem solving, and more. Check it out. Links in the description. The Force Fetch Course. Baby. Episode 18 of Lone Ducks Gun Dog Chronicles. Welcome to everybody listening. This is Bob Owens, and we've got my brother Kevin on the line, and we're going to rip through a bunch of cool things that have happened in the last few weeks, as well as your Instagram questions. So, Kevin, tell us about what you've had going on because you just got back from a little vacation. What's up, man? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, good to chat, man. Been a little while. Uh, got a nice little glass of whiskey here, ready to to tear into it tonight. Well, you're better the man than me. I got two natty lights. That is rough. Uh, somebody's got to be the classy one. That's okay. Um, That's okay. It can be you. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I um fortunate to to find a few deals and made my way out to Hawaii. Um. For a little R and R, so we've been slightly out of the I don't know out of the office. I guess you could say out of the Lone Duck office, the northern office at least. Bob's been hard at work down south, but uh, had a good time. Did some hiking, snorkeling, saw some really cool things that we don't necessarily get here at home, um, which was pretty cool. So we uh, went hiking out on like the western side of Kauai to where the Nepali coast is, and there were tons of wild pigs. It was. Is that where all the Axis deer are? Yes. So, well, I'll get to that. So we, uh, <clears throat> so we're. I didn't see any Axis deer. I was pretty bummed. Um. Well, I guess I could have. I saw deer out in the, like, while driving around. So I'm like way out in a field. I don't know what the heck kind of deer they are. Like. No, I'm sure that's them, dude. Well, that's, that's pretty awesome. cool, then. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. Hell yeah. But anyway, so uh, tons of wild pig. We did some hiking, and there was, like, wild pig sign all over the place. Just it looked like there was a rototiller. 
on the side of the you know way back in the mountains like the back country it was super yep. cool it was like where they shot jurassic park um oh no way <clears throat> yeah so like i guess they didn't cgi a lot of jurassic park they just like flew around the canyons and the tropical forest and stuff that we were hiking through so that was pretty badass but there were tons of wild pigs and um we got out onto this ledge and we we're just kind of sitting there having like a, a little mid-hike break and saw a bunch of like a family of wild pigs like scurrying across the mountainside that was really cool not something you really get at home um but as for the so on our way or on our way there actually we uh we were driving up this canyon and there was a big sign it said like hunter check-in station one mile so i'm like well maybe we gotta do a little pit stop check this out also something different that we don't necessarily have back home in snowy central new york so uh, I asked one of my buddies who's driving, I'm like, listen, we, we're going to have to pull over. I'm going to have to check this out. And so I jumped out, and some guy had a real sweet, brand-new Tacoma uh, that was kind of, like, pulled over. And there was a huge Yeti cooler in the back. So I'm like, okay, this guy, he, he's here to have a good time. So I walk into the Hunter check-in station, and uh, there's an old, old, old Hawaiian man sitting there. And uh, so I'm like, oh, you know, hello, just want to – check this place out, see what's going on, uh, you know, not going out hunting, whatever. And I could, like, barely understand this guy. That's how, like, old Hawaiian he was. It was awesome. What is it? All right. I don't know what a Hawaiian sounds like. What What do they sound like? Like, you could do, like, an Irish accent. Can you do a Hawaiian accent? No, I really, I don't know how I could. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Um, like, like Polynesian. All right, cool. All right, go on with your story. My bad. Which is cool. Actually, like a lot of people out there had tattoos like The Rock. It was great. Nice. Yeah, it was badass. But um, so I'm, I'm you know, talking to him, just kind of making small talk because I guess there were signs for chucker everywhere. Um, okay. Tons of different animals they have out in Hawaii are all, like, introduced non-native, which I also didn't know. It's kind of like New Zealand. Right, um, yep. Which is just crazy so they had chucker everywhere i think i heard some chucker like whistling you know how they kind of like call to each other yeah so i heard that while we like were bouncing around didn't see any i don't know but i you know, i don't know i mean i know what a chucker sounds like so that was kind of cool um cool. when i talked to the guy i asked him if he was going chucker hunting and uh he said he's never done it before he's always wanted to hunt over a dog so i'm like this is really cool talking to an old Hawaiian man about chucker hunting up in, like, the canyons. And uh, he said he was going to shoot pigs. So I'm like, well, that's badass. Uh, and so, long story short, I guess, he said he, uh, you know, hunts him with a rifle. There is an archery season, but he just loves, like, slogging through the brush for monster feral pigs. And I just thought that was manly as hell. But so then he was well, asking me about... it's definitely a huge part of... Yeah, sorry, it's, it's definitely a huge part of their like heritage with having the roasts on the beach and bearing the, the bodies and like roasting it in, in the beach type of thing. So, I mean, that's, that's definitely part of their culture. That's really neat, man. Oh yeah. No. So I went to one of those little parties. It was badass. They, uh, stuff... yeah, they call them luau's. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's, nice. it's, yeah. So we went to like an, an old fashioned luau and, uh, slinging my ties at a luau and they like, uh, they had an emu, an I-M-U was how they spelled it, but it was a huge pit, and they stuff, they make a fire, and they, like, heat up rocks and then stuff the pig with the rocks to cook the inside and then cover the fire and the pig and everything under blankets in sand, and then it just, like, cooks in this huge pit. 
Nice. And uh, so, like, that was cool to eat a eat a whole pig. Uh, but so anyway, so I'm talking to this guy for just a few minutes, and he asked if I hunted. So I'm like, yeah, I mean, I you know, we hunt over dogs, things like that. I've, you know, gotten into deer hunting, whatever. And he's like, oh, do you eat them out, out there? I told him where I was from. And I said, yeah, I'm like, it's delicious. He's like, is it a whitetail? I didn't know you could eat a whitetail deer. No way. Yeah. I've not, I guess, I mean, just different world, man. But I've never met someone who's like, I didn't even know you could eat a whitetail deer. But he was saying that um, they usually hit blacktail and axis deer. Um, nice. But I just thought that was so cool. I'm like, you don't find people who don't know that you can eat a whitetail deer. Well, I mean, it's the same thing as like you didn't know they were chucker and that you probably, I mean, it's just a different, different culture and different yeah. part of, I mean, you know, what's cool too is like, that's an American state. That's like what's that. crazy. Yeah. It's, it's a completely really, really different cool. world, but like my phone works. I didn't have to like, Yeah. I don't know. It was, it was nuts. And then the other thing that I thought was really cool, like worth kind of mentioning is, um, I guess they had like hundred years ago or they don't really know exactly what happened but they have feral chickens everywhere i've oh, never no seen way. more chickens in my life it's like around here we have you know squirrels out the ass and we have rabbits and everything but if you combine the number of squirrels and the number of rabbits that you see that's how many feral chickens there were they were everywhere parking so lots hunt chickens and like chickens and have chicken dinners no so this bothered me like the entire time we were there there are protected species out there um, what yeah there were chickens I, I mean they were all over the parking lots they were cutting across the road in front of us they people it was unbelievable they were uh, they were everywhere and unless you've been there you, you i don't maybe wouldn't even believe me but they were everywhere and you can't even you can't touch them you can't harass them None of which I did, allegedly, and well, you can't. Yeah, uh, it was unbelievable. So I'm thinking, I'm like, why, how can you? N who thought it would be a good idea to have all of these animals? And like, food is so expensive out there. You can't eat them. That's what I'm saying. And so I was like googling it, like, why can't you eat a chicken in Kauai? And they, I think it's garbage. But apparently, like, they don't taste good. But Talk about free range, organic, free whatever, range chicken, wild yeah. chicken. I mean, you can marinate anything, and for the price of the food out there, and there's chickens everywhere. It was just blew my mind. Um, cool. And like, you don't see feral chickens, so that was really cool. Well, I'm glad Anyways. you had a good vacation, dude. I'm glad you got away and got to recharge the batteries and yep. experience a different culture. Let's. Uh, well, I guess I'll give you a. I'll. I'll be a lot quicker than you were, but I I'll, I'll give a, you ramble. So our last two weeks, we've had a really fun time with the puppies. We did all the puppy go home time. Like all the owners from the South came and picked them up and all the owners in the North I met up in Virginia. So I drove from Charleston to just South of Richmond and uh, Massachusetts, Connecticut's and Maryland owners came and picked up their pups. Dude, it was an extremely fulfilling feeling seeing the smiles on these people's faces when they got to meet the puppy that they've been waiting eight weeks for. And it's not just like waiting eight weeks for your puppy. It's, you know, at least some of them are just like me where this wasn't a, 
this wasn't a fly by night decision. You know, some of these oh, people yeah. have been researching breeders and researching pedigrees and finding the right puppy for six months or a year. And they finally bite the bullet and, and decide to buy one. And it's from me and the, the, that it's the unspoken bond, bro. It's the culmination of all that hard work and excitement leading up to it. Then they pull the trigger and put a deposit on it. And then you got eight weeks of just sitting, waiting, wishing, what is it going to look like? What's it going to be like? And the, just seeing their faces light up when it's like this, you know, pick it up out of the group and hand it to them and just watching them melt and watching that puppy lick them and chase them around the yard and, it was it was really special so i'm really proud of it and we've had phenomenal feedback from the puppy owners you know That's pups good. i mean i can't believe it sleeping through the night um, yeah i mean just crate training really intelligently uh, every all the puppies were retrieving when they went home and like playing with pigeons and bringing birds back and stuff so i feel like pat my back you know pat myself on the back there for like good socialization and and just trying hard right like doing the right things by the puppies and the owners but then you're seeing these they're sending me videos of these puppies retrieving for them and just you can hear the happiness in their voice and then the other cool part was a few of the families have little kids oh really sent me the yeah and sent me the videos of the kids seeing the puppies as a surprise and it's just, dude, it made it all, all the hard work and everything that goes into raising puppies right worth it. So that's pretty cool. And the other great part is some of them are going to come back and train with me. So how many are got, doing that now? Well, a couple of them say they're going to do it when they're six months old. So I don't want to pigeonhole anybody into 100% agreeing that in, in four months they're going to send their pup away. But there's one yellow male that's staying with me. And what's his, his name? His name. His name is Culper, like a culprit, Culper. All right. So he's the other yellow boy, and he's a little monster, dude. Like, Brew's a good puppy, and he's he's retrieving and swimming, and they're kicking butt. But this little Culper is uh, a maniac. He's steamrolling live pigeons. And what? Like hitting them like a ton of bricks, like you see dogs running through a cornfield and stomping on a goose and like rolling with a live goose. That's Man, puppy. This little dude. Yeah. He's, he's got it. So he's really fun. And then there's going to be another one. He went home to Connecticut, but we'll come back in May when I get home into New York okay. and they named him Hunter and he's one of the black males. Gotcha. And he's, the guy's thrilled with him, but he's going to go through our whole program uh, all summer long and in, uh, all the way through November. So I'm really excited for those guys. Then there's another family in Maryland that wants a master hunter, and they bought a female. So we should have her back come June, July time and start the whole program and, and take her all the way through. Wow, so that'll I'm be the long haul. Yeah, it's a long haul. It's a huge investment on yeah. their part, time away from their dog and everything. But they're great people, and they've got high hopes for their little puppy, and so do I. So that's so cool. I'm excited. Yeah. I'm now, excited. what do they want to do with the dog? Just have a, a phenomenal hunting dog, or just are they t- looking for breeding, or or what was kind of their game plan for? Because not everybody's all like, the, oh yeah, no, I want a master hunter. Yeah, it's all of the above. So they want to they want to see how far this dog can go. They want to play the game. 
and they want to breed sometime in the future. So they want, they're trying to do it right by picking a great puppy. Right. And then they want to do it right by having it trained and they're doing it. Not that if you do it on your own, that you're not doing it right. I don't mean it like that, but they're, they don't know enough to get it to that level. So they're like, Hey, we, we trust you. We want you to do it. So they're excited for that. And, uh, I mean, she's a sweetheart. She was a really nice little female. So I'm excited for them and I'm excited to have her back, uh, come summertime. And then there's a few other people that said they want to do it, and hopefully they do because I'm I'm I, I mean I've said it probably ten times already. I'm excited for what these puppies will become. Yeah. Great family members, great hunting dogs, and be able to play the game at a very high level if the people and myself like take them to that level. So, yeah. you know, on the puppy note, you know they're great. Cruz is back in training daily. Nice. She's definitely rusty. But, I mean, within – she's been training every day for the last two weeks, and, I mean, she's doing great. So we're going to run another master test mid-April. So I'm hoping she passes, gets her master title, and then we'll work towards qualifying for Master National for next uh, October in South Carolina. So that's kind of all the news down here. But what we wanted to do with this, the rest of the podcast, guys, we've had a ton – of awesome responses from people who are listening to the podcast and joining and, you know, Hey, I've stumbled across it and binged listened. And so we've got a ton of cool questions. So I want to answer some Instagram questions and get into that. So Kev, do me a favor, man, hit me with the first question. Yeah. So, uh, if people have more questions, please keep sending them. This is awesome. Love the engagement and, uh, you know, keep them coming. So, uh, Steven Dis. D-I-S-Z? No. Diz? Sorry. It's Geis. G is in Guy. E-I-S-Z. Gotcha. Well, my bad, Steve. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, anyway, Steve's got a 10-week-old pup uh, and is biting. And so he's looking for a little bit of advice, like how do you correct a puppy when they're that young with such a pain-in-the-butt sort of problem that we don't want to get to be an issue when they're much bigger? Yeah. No, that's a great question, and I thought it was pretty timely because we've got eight-and-a-half-week-old puppies who are doing the same thing. Um, there's plenty of different ways out there, and I'm sure people can YouTube some happy-go-lucky, all-positive reinforcement. Uh, like I had a friend one time. This dog was like two years old, and that sucker bit down on me. And, I, I mean, it – drew tears type of nipped me and it was just playing it was all playful and she's like yeah he still does that and i'm like well okay uh you know that sucks right and she's like yeah (laughs) but you know so she had someone this is probably five years ago and she had somebody like help her and the lady that helped her basically gave the advice of like if you pull your hand away really fast and yell ow it'll stop. Yeah. And I'm thinking, are you shitting me? Like, <laughs> uh, okay. Cause the like, dog has what empathy it, and it's gonna be like, Oh, I, I hurt oh, her feelings. I hurt her. Yeah. No. Now I can maybe think about it from a dog's point of view where you kind of maybe startle the dog from that loud ow and jerk your hand away. And I might get it that it's like, Ooh, what was that? Yeah. But it's not teaching it black and white. This is right. This is wrong. So, um, 
and if anything, like the you know pulling your hand away real quick is going to make, make it, it want to 100%. yeah snap more. Yeah, you're right, Kev. So it, it could make it think you're playing, where it becomes a game now to chase your hand. So here's how I do it, and this is not right, wrong, or indifferent. I this is just how I do it. So I've got a little puppy collar on my pups. I'm going to grab, and I'm right-handed. So puppy's nipping me. I grab the puppy with my left hand by the collar. So now it can't get away. I got him. And I also tell people at this age, go to the dollar store. Buy half a dozen puppy leeches. They're a dollar. So go spend six bucks. If they chew them up, throw them away. If you lose one, you're not sweating it. But let that puppy drag that leash around and get used to dragging around. So now if it does something like nip you or nip your kids or is chewing the carpet or chewing your, you know, table leg chair uh, and chairs and, you know, stuff like that, you've got a four foot little leash that you can grab, pop that lead or reel them in and tell them no. Now, when that little puppy's like I was saying, I got my left hand on the collar. So if I've got the four foot leash, I can grab the leash, reel them in, grab them by the collar. And I've got my left hand on the collar, right hand on that muzzle. Right. And I'm holding them. And I call it riding the Bronco, riding the bull. And that puppy's going to squirm and wriggle and pull away, and maybe squeal and fight to get let go. And you're just going to, you're very gentle, but you're just holding on tight and waiting and waiting. And you're saying no bite, no bite, no bite. And your right hand is just around that muzzle. And that puppy at some point could take five seconds, 20 seconds, or a minute. Who knows? Ride the wave and hang on. And when that puppy takes a deep breath and relaxes, you start to relax. And you slightly relax your right hand. You still got him by the left, by the collar. You relax that right hand. And as you're relaxing, that puppy's going to make a life decision. He's either going to decide to be a good puppy and stop nipping or make a bad decision and be an alligator and bite your hand again. If he bites your hand again, you're right. If he bites your hand again, you've got him still by the collar. So you can just reach around, grab him again by the muzzle and hang on tight and tell him no bite, hang on and ride the wave again. If he stops and he relaxes and he just like shakes it off, then you slowly let go of everything and he just wanders off and you don't praise him. You don't pet him. You don't do anything. You just pretend like it didn't happen. You just let it go. And you do that. 50 times, 10 times, one time, the pup's going to realize comfortable, uncomfortable. You know, I get pet and love and everything. If I'm not biting, I'm getting held by the muzzle. The other thing, too, that's kind of how a mother dog would do it. They'll grab them by the muzzle and, and nip them and stuff. We're not nipping. We're just relaxing the puppy down, calming them down, bringing them back down to uh, the uncrazy mode and just teaching them right and wrong. This is okay. This is not. And you're going to get a correction if it's not. And it's not earth shattering either. I'm not coming down yelling at them. I'm not yanking them around. It's, it's very calm, but it's very, um, it's like calculated. Yep. And it's easy, man. It's easy. It doesn't need to be a pain in the butt. It doesn't need to be, they don't need to think that they, they just, you know, committed a murder. It's just, there's a consequence to your action and this is how I'm going to teach you. Now I'm going to side note that this is another question that I get pretty often about that chewing and stuff. That four foot leash that I put on a puppy, 
and, and maybe 10 weeks is too young. And, and these little guys that are staying with me and learning aren't in on a leash yet either. But at some point, they're going to start testing their boundaries and they're going to start chewing things they're not supposed to. If you've got four foot of, of dollar store leash dragging around while you're watching them in the house and stuff, you don't have to physically touch them. You don't have to physically catch them if they've got something they're not supposed to. You've got four foot. So you can step on it. You can grab it when they're not looking and just give a little tug. No. So now instead of yelling at them from across the kitchen, no, leave it, whatever, you can sneak up, grab that four-foot leash, and just give them a little tug and tell them no. Now no means something. No is a little tug on that leash. There's a little correction behind it versus just saying no and nothing happens to them. Tell them no again, nothing happens. Tell them no again, nothing happens. Now no holds no water. Right. No, right. mean no has to mean there's a consequence. They need and to then, associate it with the correction. Sure. Right. Or, um, OK. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 Exactly. Now, the other thing with this nipping uh, and then we'll move on. There's remember, I was kind of kidding around about the person who said ow and pulled their hand away. Yeah. My there's mother-in-law also, does that. <laughs> yeah. Jesus. Um, she needs to listen to our podcast. Um, there are other people that'll be like, uh, the puppy nipped me. So I redirected it to a chew toy. Ooh, that's a good one. I love when people tell me that like, well, no, yeah. I'm just going to give it something that it should chew on. Yeah. All right. Good school of thought. I think that's genius. I think Except... that's, I think that's genius. I want to make this point. I, I think that's <laughs> genius from a person's standpoint. Right. But you need to think now, from the dog standpoint, how does the dog learn? How does, how did dogs, how does dog psychology work? Right. So let me, yeah, exactly. So when a dog sits, I give them a treat. When a dog does good, I'm praising them with a, a physical, you know, petting or talking to them. Oh, good boy. Right. Um, if I'm getting nipped and I turn around and hand them a chew toy, they just got a reward for being naughty, okay? So we don't want to instantly give them a chew toy when they're nipping. We want to do the muzzle thing, right, like I just described. Right. And then when they calm down, then give them something that they can chew on that's positive. So I'm still going to reward them in the end, and they're still going to get something that they can take their chewing out on other than me. But – I'm going to make a mini correction. I'm going to calm them down. I'm going to teach them right and wrong. And then I'm going to reward good behavior. All right, let's move on, buddy. All right, question number two. Yeah, uh, this one's from Northern Brookie. Appreciate the question. Uh, and it's it's a good one. I feel like I've heard this a lot. My neighbor actually does this. Uh, she's crazy, though. She thought I was nuts for not doing this. But uh, Northern Brookie was interested in your thoughts on the raw food diet. Do you feed our dogs raw food, raw meat, things like that? Yeah. Uh, so I, I will wholeheartedly admit that I'm not a food scientist, right? Like I don't, I don't, uh, I don't have enough personal research behind this to give an educated answer. What I do have is my opinion and my my experiences that I've had with raw food. Okay. So it's limited compared to maybe other people and maybe other people have dialed it in more. And yep. it, it, right. But here's what I've learned. 
I've learned that companies like Yukonuba, companies like ProPlan have spent millions upon millions of dollars on scientists who work on canine and feline nutrition. They may not do everything right, and there may be other avenues that are positive, but they spend a ton of money on doing it the best they can. Raw food diet is relatively new craze. Definitely within the last two years, and probably there's obviously there's been people that have done it for a long time, but really the last like two years, it's a very holistic thing. People are spending a lot of money on freeze-dried food, food you add water to, and it expands. And you know, it's your dog's a wild animal inside. Feed him like a wild animal. Oh, those are the best. I, I do love that marketing where you you look at the bag and the commercials, and it's like a wolf feeding on a carcass. Well, yeah, and it's like, like running at, by a stream, and then it's like, but you want your French bulldog to have this down in New York City? There you go. Right. No, and I get it, dude. <laughs> like, I yeah, no, I know, and I mean, I'll name it. It's t- like Taste of the Wild and Blue Buffalo. They they market the heck out of it, and yeah. I get it, and I don't think they're wrong. And I don't know enough of the different brands and companies that market their raw food and stuff to, to maybe say like, this is the one I would use if I were to do it. Yeah. What, what I do know is I did have a dog in my kennel that the owner wanted on raw food and the dog was overweight. The dog's coat looked like crap and, and we had to like portion it out and weigh it and do supplements in it and this, that, and the other thing. And the dog looked like shit. We put it on Purina Pro Plan after like two months of training with me. And the dog lost weight to a healthy, like, I'm talking like three to five pounds. But like, went from being chunky to fit. Right. Which maybe that was part of actually training too. I'm, but its weight was controllable, right? Like where the raw food, it was like, the weight fluctuated and it just was ballooning. Uh, the coat came back looking much, much better and we're good to go now. Like good stools, good coat, good body weight, maintainable body weight yeah. and dogs happy and healthy. So here's what I think. I think if you're and the other kicker is how many dogs do I own? I don't know, five, six, whatever. I can't go through and like cook all the chicken up and the beef up and the rice up and the carrots up and the potatoes up and and the different things that people feed their dogs for my dogs and then, you know, 20 something kennels in my kennel. Right. So I'm going to feed the best I can with the best knowledge I've got, which is right now you're in a pro plant sport and it's got good fat content, good protein content. My dog's stools are, good they're not pooping up a storm they're not having soft stools they're they're good and healthy everybody maintains a good weight um i do add supplements uh of fish oil so um i do that but you know i think there's also research out there that i'm doing that they're the amount of fish oil a dog needs to ingest in a day to actually benefit its coat is like astronomical so Right now, Cruz blew her coat because of the puppies. So hormonally, she's off and her coat is kind of dingy. So I've been doing a different type of fish oil that is supposed to help that. So we're, we're playing around a little bit with learning that stuff. But 
a Yukonuba, a Purina Pro Plan Sport. I mean, even t- like Taste of the Wild is not a bad food. It's a good food. I, I don't just, I don't, I'm, I don't know. I don't get lost in the marketing of it. Yeah. Um, some dogs, like some dogs might be on Purina and have loose stools and, and dingy coats. Then they go to a Yukonuba and they, they thrive. Every dog balances a little differently. Maybe one food is a little richer than others. So the stool is loose. So I think you kind of have to find what's right for you and your dog and try that. I don't, to get back to the question of what are my thoughts on raw, raw food, I think do your own research. There's a ton out there, but these companies who are doing raw food aren't million dollar companies with, with the best scientists who went to the best colleges for veterinary science and nutrition, they're raw food diet companies. So that's my two cents, dude. All right. Next question. Jackson five knock. Uh, Oh, this was a good question. Uh, When you're out hunting or you go to a new training ground, do you do a little inspection and walk the water's edge to make sure that there's nothing dangerous for your dog? It's a really good question. Uh, basically, you know, what he's asking is, do we worry about impaling our dog? So like, let's say you got a dog with a big water entry and they launch off the bank of the water and, and into the, or excuse me, off the bank of the land and into the water. And, and all of a sudden there's a, a root or a cut off tree branch or barbed wire or whatever a dog can find. Um, you know, yes. The answer is yes. I, I inspect where I want my dogs to enter due to where I want to set up my marks. Where do I want to run my blinds? And I take a look. Same with hunting, you know, where I'm putting my Momar stand and where I'm, going to set my blind i definitely kick around and look around with that being said man we don't live in a bubble and we can't worry about everything so i do my due diligence i kick around i take a look and then we we let it rip um these dogs are just they're athletes it's it's like a you know football player hey do you stop playing football because you tore your acl or you broke a limb or something happened to you no you you get fixed and you play like i've had dogs get caught on barbed wire you know pheasant hunting and they're running through fields and get caught on barbed wire i've had sticks in the eye i've had everything that you can kind of think of besides a broken limb knock on wood yeah seriously um yeah no joke um it happened to them and it's part of the game. I mean, it's, it's like telling a football player, you know, you, you might get a concussion. You might not No, you're pretty much going to get a concussion. I will you know, say this though, long enough. Yeah. I, I will say this though. Like when we go out hunting, you, you take precaution and look through things, but sure. like also if you're unsure, your dog can wear a vest and that can help mitigate some of those risks. Yeah. But you're not going to wear a vest when you're out training every day. So no, yeah, I think point. that's where his question came from because we ran a setup in a kind of a wood duck hole looking swamp area. And oh, do you know this guy water. I, I mean, I got his question and I told him we'd answer it on the podcast. So, Oh, gotcha. Okay. Um, that's where the question came from because it, it did. There were sticks everywhere and stumps everywhere. And, and, and 
he asked, like, do you worry about it? And what do you do to prevent it? And so I guess, again, to go back is like, you do the best you can. I take a look. And then at the end of the day, I, as a trainer and dog owner, do the best I can for the dog. But they're an athlete and they're this, they're doing what they love. If a stick in the eye happens, we've got to deal with it. That's also something to kind of go back on. We keep a little mini first aid kit in our in my truck. And then same in our hunting blind bag. So there's something if a cut happens or, you know, they do get seeds in their eye. Like I've got things I can use to get get that stuff taken care of and then maybe go see a vet. So those are my thoughts. Um, yeah, so right, on, that, yeah, on that note, uh, you have a great YouTube video. If you check out Lone Duck Outfitters on YouTube, you have a phenomenal YouTube video with Ira McCauley going through uh, some advice on things to, to keep in your blind bag uh, nice. yeah, to, to help with some of those things. So definitely check that out. It's uh, helpful. It After checking that out, I definitely updated my little blind bag kit for the dog. So uh, check it out. Nice. But um, cool. so on that kind of like, I don't know. Getting dogs in water. Getting dogs in water. We had a great question on the puppy video of the puppies uh, in their first little water trip who did great, and it was adorable. If you haven't seen that, check that out on Instagram. But uh, at Ricky O.D. sent us a question that I thought was really good, so appreciate the question and for following. Um, he's, he said... <clears throat> Our 10-week-old lab just had her second booster shot, and I'm still hesitant to let her swim. What are your reservations, if any, on letting them in the pond slash lake at a young age? The ice just finished melting here in Massachusetts, so I assume bacteria levels are at their lowest. Can you uh, uh, help them out and give them a little bit of advice on getting the pup in water? Yeah. Yeah. So I think I – yeah, I just saw that question too. So the thing that – threw me for a loop and I definitely want to hammer on is a, he's got a very young puppy, 10 weeks old and never been in water. B he's from the North. Like we, we are. And the ice just melted. Um, those are two things that I'm really conscious of. So the first experience of swimming, I want to be a positive one and I don't want the puppy to worry about, water temperature so right now being in massachusetts and it just unthawed i'm gonna hold off dude you gotta wait till the temperature of the air and the water warms up so that puppy is comfortable when it's waiting in the water um down here in south carolina it's been warm but the water's still a little chilly so like the other day when i took the puppies for their first time in the water i i didn't care what they did I just rolled up my pant legs and waded in and, and they followed me and then I got them out quickly. So they were able to run around for 10 or 15 minutes. They were happy and exhausted and thirsty and we walked towards the water and they decided to follow me in. And then I got them out of there before they got too cold and, and it became a negative. Right. Swimming should be a positive. Um, so to answer his specific question, definitely at 10 weeks old, they're too little to be swimming in just thawed water. You got to wait another month or two until you can get that pup in the water uh, in Massachusetts. Um, 
there's a couple things, and we have a video on YouTube for this one too, with Memphis and Boss swimming for their first time. And they were probably four and a half months old by the time New York warmed up enough to where they could swim. And how I introduce a puppy to water is I wade out there. So they follow me and they follow me with a bumper. So I've, I've played with them enough. They like to retrieve. They know what that bumper means and they want to be with me. So I'll wade out into a shallow entry pond where there's no waves. There's no current like a river or a stream. Um, we're not going to the ocean. We're not going to a big lake like a Lake Ontario where there's waves crashing and stuff like that. We're going to a nice shallow entry where I can wade up to my knees and that puppy's going to follow me in and I'm going to get them excited and pitch the bumper out into the water five feet, you know, not far. And they just, they're followed. They're already swimming. Then they see the bumper and they go and get it and bring it back. And it's, it is so easy if you've built a little bit of retrieve drive and you've built a bond with that puppy that wants to be with you. If the puppy is still nervous, take your time. There's no rush to this. So there's things you definitely don't want to do. And I've already stated, don't take them to an ocean. Don't take them to a lake where there's rolling waves. Don't take them to a river and a stream. But there's things like letting them fall into a pool or fall off a dock or pick the puppy up and carry it into the water and then set them down. First thing that puppy's going to do is haul ass back to shore. That's just what they're going to do. So now you've created nervous, 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 set down in the water, haul butt back to land. What I want to do is take, guide them out using positive reinforcement, high-pitched voice, excitement, retrieving, bumpers, the bond you they share with me where they just want to be with me. They follow me out into that water and they're it's a huge positive experience. There's no negatives whatsoever. Um, so that's how I do it. So to answer his question, definitely don't do it until that water in Massachusetts warms up. Anybody in the South still wait for a nice warm day. Make sure that pond's a little bit warmer than normal and uh, make sure it's nice shallow entry where they can follow you in. Next question, brother. Uh, well, I wanted to follow up on that because part of, oh, I want to make sure that we fully answer their, their question, which was asking also about like the bacteria and the water and uh, booster shots yeah. and stuff like that. Um, is there a point in time where you're okay with the dog going into new places, meeting people, meeting other dogs, that sort of thing, uh, including like jumping into a pond? Yeah. Uh, good point. So, I mean, these puppies I have are eight and a half weeks old. They are, uh, they just got their second round of shots right now. Um, there are things I'm very conscious of, like they're not allowed around the big dogs yet and stuff like that. But the ponds that we are, they've swam in at least, there's no algae. There, there might be a little duckweed or pollen from the trees blooming on the water. But there's no algae, there's no standing water, stagnant, gross, nasty water. It's clean, it's fresh, it's good. Um, salt water is not good for a dog to drink. It can give them diarrhea, so not really number one on my list for having a young puppy get in there and swim. Um, 
And then, def, I mean, to his point, like, yeah, there's no algae growing in, in barely thawed water. You don't have to worry about that. But there's definitely ponds in the north that, and south, I guess. I, I don't know the reach of it, but blue-green algae is something you want to be aware of and conscious of. That'll kill a dog. So blue-green algae, and that is like a neon-colored scum that rides on top of the water and... I would never put my dog in that nasty, real stank, gross, stagnant water. Um, I wouldn't have my pup in that either. As an adult, I may not worry as much, but they still can catch things from that. But, you know, at that point, as an adult dog, they've got a little bit more of a immune system and immunity built up and their guts are a little bit more developed. So um, I don't know. Hope that answered that question. Yeah. So th- thanks for clarifying that. That was pretty helpful. Um, so a couple other like cool things we got rolling in, in lone duck land. Uh, we, if you haven't heard, we did a podcast with our good buddy, Ronnie Bame from the hunting dog podcast. And, uh, we put together a couple articles on how to introduce your dog to gunfire and advice for the off season. Uh, if you are interested in checking those out, you can go to the hunting dog podcast.com. Uh, Ronnie's got an awesome website, a lot of great articles and information on there, including again, uh, a couple real studly articles from, from the lone duck crew. So definitely check those out. Uh, and also our episode with Ronnie, um, episode, where'd you go? 16, just a few ago. So that was really cool. Thought I'd, uh, toss that out there. Real excited about it. Nice. Very good, man. Well, hey, we answered a ton of questions here tonight. I enjoyed catching up with you. Yeah. We've got more podcasts to come in the upcoming weeks. We've got some cool guests and more Q&A. So keep the questions rolling on Instagram. You know, Hit us up with direct message. Hit us up uh, in the comment section of our posts. If you see something I'm doing during my training day and you have a question for it and a comment, leave it. I'll write it down. Kevin will write it down and we'll get to it here on the Lone Duck Gundog Chronicles. So guys, thank you so much for listening. Do me a solid, do Kevin a solid rate the podcast. If you think it sucked, then don't do anything. Leave it. (laughs) If you thought it was awesome, if you thought it was awesome, give us a, a good rating and we appreciate that. Leave a comment for things you liked, things you'd like to see out of the future. You know what would also be really cool? Hey, send us some suggestions for people you'd like to see and hear from on the podcast. Retriever trainers, um, outdoor enthusiasts. Like, who do you want us to do a Q&A with? Who do you want to hear from? I've got a lot of cool ideas for the spring and summer, and it, it should it's going to be really, really neat. I'm excited for the growth of this podcast, but, you know, feedback is phenomenal. So give us a rating, hit subscribe, and I appreciate and Kevin appreciates everything you guys doing for following along. So there it is, episode 18 in the books. Thanks, guys.
Hey, if you haven't done it already, jump into patreon.com forward slash Lone Duck Outfitters. If you enjoy the show and want to want to support the show, if this show has helped you and your dog grow together, if you enjoy our Instagram, if we've helped you at all, it's like buying me and Kevin a beer and you get more one-on-one from me. You get content that doesn't hit Instagram or YouTube and it enters you to win a free hunt with me and Kevin in Missouri this duck season. So jump on, links in the description. We'd be happy to have you and love to help you. Hey listeners, Nick Larson here, host of the Bird Shop Podcast. As fans of this show, you may be interested in the conversations on the Bird Shop Podcast, where we discuss all things upland hunting, from upland birds and their habitat and conservation, to the shotguns, bird dogs, and gear used to pursue them. Whether you're a seasoned upland hunter or just getting started and wanting to learn more, I interview a wide range of guests, each with their own unique perspective and valuable experience to share. If you're on the hunt for more upland hunting conversation, please consider subscribing to the Bird Shop Podcast today. Thank you.